Well, this morning as we open up, I've got a new mic. Mine wasn't working, so they put me on a different one, so I think they're adjusting it back there. Um, But as we open up God's powerful word this morning, his inerrant, infallible, precious word, I'd like you to turn to Ephesians chapter 3, and we will be looking this morning at verses 1 through 6 as we return this morning to our ongoing series through the book of Ephesians. I am preaching expositionally through the book of Ephesians, and we come to chapter 3, the first six verses, where the Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Ephesus, writes, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When, this, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets By the Spirit, the mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Well, our first point this morning is Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. The phrase, for this reason, takes us back to Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 22, where we were the last time we were in the book of Ephesians. If you remember in chapter 2, verses 11 through 22, I did three different sermons out of that one paragraph where Paul focuses on the fact that the Jews and the Gentiles have become one new man in Christ. And he tells them in that section, I want you to remember who you were before you came to Christ. I want you to remember that at that time you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But then in verse 13 of chapter 2, he says, but now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Oh, you who were so far away from God have now been brought near to him by the substitutionary sacrificial death of Christ. All encompassed in that phrase that we use that is so precious to us as a church, as believers, the blood of Christ. Paul goes on to tell them Christ has made Jews and Gentiles one new man, breaking down the dividing wall of hostility through the cross of Christ. He says that Christ came and he preached peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near, peace to the Gentiles, peace to the believing Jews, peace with God and peace with one another. And he makes that glorious statement that Gentiles are no longer strangers and aliens, but they are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God. 
They are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And then Paul says that Jews and Gentiles are growing together into a holy temple in the Lord. And then in verse 22, the very last thing we looked at the last time we were in Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 22, it says, In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit, that God now dwells in his church, his gathered church, by his Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, permanently indwelling every believer. And we saw that glorious truth that God is no longer residing in a temple in Jerusalem behind the Holy of Holies in the Ark of the Covenant. No, he is dwelling today in his church gathered by his spirit. And then Paul says, for this reason, For this reason, because of what I just told you. And Paul reminds the believers in Ephesus that he is a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of the Gentiles. Paul was truly a prisoner of Christ. Now, it was because of charges brought by the Jews that Paul was in prison, but he was not a prisoner of the Jews. He was in prison... By the authority of the Roman government, or placed in prison by the authority of Rome, but he was not a prisoner of the Romans. He appealed to Caesar, but he was not a prisoner of Caesar. No, he, Paul, was a minister of Christ Jesus, bought with a price and given the special mission of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. Now, by this time, Paul had been in prison approximately five years. He wrote, as some of you may know, uh, what are known as the prison epistles from his imprisonment. He wrote Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and Philemon, all from his imprisonment known, again, as the prison epistles. But ultimately, so ultimately, Paul was a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Whatever he did... And wherever he went, he was under Christ's control. He was ultimately not subject to the plans, the power, the punishment, or the imprisonment of any man or government. Paul was God's prisoner. He was God's prisoner, and Jesus Christ was the cause of his imprisonment. And he says, because he wants them to know, for this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. There were some who were trying to discredit Paul. Something must be wrong with him or wrong with his ministry. If he has been put in prison, he goes, no, 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 no. It is actually the evidence of my commissioning by God because I am in prison for the cause of Christ. In verses 2 and 3, he says, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. Paul was given a stewardship by God 
The word stewardship, as some of you may be familiar as it is used in the New Testament, means that you are given something by someone else that does not belong to you, but you are to guard it and protect it and watch over it. Something given to you by someone else that is not your own that you are to guard and protect and use wisely. And Paul was made by God an apostle to the Gentiles. That was his mission. That was his commissioning by God himself to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And he says, I want you to know that this mystery was made known to me by revelation. Paul received this stewardship, this mission as a direct revelation from God. We know this from the book of Acts. We also know it from the book of Galatians. Now, we don't know if this specific aspect of this mystery was given to him by voice or by vision, but Paul says, and of course, this is before the completion of the New Testament, he said, I received this mission as a direct or by a direct revelation from God. And so our second point this morning is a great New Testament mystery. Now let me explain here for those of you who may be newer to the study of Scripture when mystery is used in the New Testament. It does not mean something mysterious that we can't understand. No, it means something that was not fully disclosed in the past, but has now been disclosed in the present and for the future. So it was something that was partially kept from us in the past, but has now been disclosed. And Paul wants every New Testament believer to understand his, Paul's, God-given insight into the mystery of Christ. In verse 4, he says, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Fellow believers here at First Baptist Church of St. John's, I want you, in essence, Paul is saying over the course of biblical history or the history of the church, I want you to understand this mystery that was given to me. Paul got his zeal for the gospel from this great insight into the gospel. Now, if you were to study this passage of scripture on your own or in a small group Bible study, you would have to grapple with the question, why does Paul spend so much time talking about or writing about the fact that the Jews and Gentiles are one new man in Christ? I mean, we just looked at a whole section at the end of chapter 2, verses 11 through 22, three different sermons, and now this continues on in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13, all about this. Why is Paul so passionate about it? Well, I think there are a number of reasons. One, of course, is this was his mission. This was his divinely ordained, God-given, God-inspired mission. And he wants everyone to know about it. I think a second reason, which we'll look at just a little more in a few minutes, this is the fulfillment of prophecy. Great prophecy from the Old Testament that the Gentiles 
are now included. That the gospel is for all people in all people groups everywhere around the world. But I think there's another reason that he spends so much time on it and that's because it was changing the world. This mystery in Christ that the gospel was equally for the Gentiles was going to and continues to change the world. Folks, there are very few things we come across in the history of mankind that change the world. But this mystery was changing the world. The gospel was now to go to the farthest reaches of planet earth. And Paul was given this mission. And the more he understood God's limitless love and his grace for all peoples, the more he was compelled to preach and to share that love and that grace. Paul was so filled with the understanding of the mystery of Christ that he sacrificed his health, that he sacrificed his freedom, that he ultimately sacrificed his very life to share that understanding with, uh, with others, to share that understanding with us so that we too might understand this mystery. Well, the mystery that Paul refers to was not made known in its fullness to past generations. In verse 5 he says, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Notice that, which was not made known as it has now been revealed. So it isn't that it wasn't made known at all, but not in the way it has now been revealed. So, This does not mean that none of the prophets of the Old Testament knew anything about the future blessing in which Gentiles too, excuse me, would share. The Old Testament writers did in fact know about it and referred to it again and again. One of our elders, John Kresge, on Sunday nights has been taking us through the story of the Bible. God's passion for his own glory through the spread of the gospel to all peoples. So we know that that was revealed to some extent in the Old Testament. But what these prophets did not fully understand is that when Messiah would come, accompanied by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the old theocracy, The old institution that Israel lived in would be completely abolished and in its place would be a new organism called the church. And in the church, the Gentiles and the Jews would be equal. One new man in Christ. This was difficult for the Jews to understand. Even some of the early church leaders were slow to understand this. We see in the book of Acts that even Peter and Barnabas at separate times were carried away by the fear of man, by this whole thought that Gentiles and Jews were completely equal in Christ. And of course, nothing, and this is what I was referring to earlier, 
Nothing brings to light the full meaning of a prophecy like its fulfillment. Yes, this was foretold in the Old Testament, but these holy apostles and prophets in the New Testament were seeing it revealed, fulfilled before their very eyes. And so are we. And so are we as we continue to see the gospel spread to all nations. Well, in verse 6, we have this great New Testament mystery stated and explained in one marvelous sentence. Verse 6 is a key verse for the entire book of Ephesians. Don't miss it this morning. We don't have to wonder what the mystery is. It's stated as plainly as it could be in verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles, our fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, it is difficult. It is difficult for us to realize how incredibly revolutionary that truth was to the Jews of Paul's day. Now, let's back up just a little bit. As I mentioned, this was, in part, foretold gloriously in the Old Testament. The Old Testament teaches that the Gentiles will be blessed by God. Genesis chapters 12, 22, 26, and 28. The Old Testament teaches us that the Gentiles will bless God. Psalm 72. The Old Testament teaches us that the Messiah will come to the Gentiles. Isaiah chapters 11, 49, 54, and 60. The Old Testament teaches us that the Gentiles will be saved by the Messiah. Hosea chapter 1 and Amos chapter 9. And the Old Testament teaches us that the Gentiles will receive the Holy Spirit, Joel, chapter 2. But the idea of including Gentiles in one body with the Jews was astounding. In the minds of most Jews, their spiritual separation from the Gentiles was so absolute and so right that the thought of total equality with Gentiles before God was not only inconceivable, it bordered on blasphemy. But Paul says, a great mystery has now been revealed. And the mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. We are fellow heirs of all of the promises that are ours in Christ Promises of salvation, of forgiveness, of future eternal blessing. And very important here, promises of our identity in who we are now in Christ. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and members of the same body. We are all together believing Jews and believing Gentiles, intimate fellow members of the body of Christ. What a thought. And here's what Paul is getting at. These believing Gentiles are not equal but separate. 
They're not cousins. They're not distant relatives. No, we're all now part of the same immediate family. We're all together as believers, Jews and Gentiles in Christ, one new man. And then Paul says the Gentiles are partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus. John MacArthur points out when he says we are partakers of the promise, it's not a third category, but rather a glorious inclusion of the two things just mentioned. We are fellow heirs. We are part of the same body. Every promise that belongs to a New Testament believer in Christ and through Christ belongs to every single believer of every skin color, of every language group, of every ethnic and cultural background, of every people group all around the world. We are all partakers of the promises in Christ Jesus And it all happens through the gospel. It all happens when any person anywhere repents and believes in the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. When they trust in him alone, when they are justified by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone, we all become part of this one amazing body In Christ. So let me say again so that it is so clear for us the gospel is for all people in every people group to the ends of the earth. That is why this church and churches like ours place so much emphasis and pour so many resources into world missions and to cross-cultural evangelization because it is the great mystery revealed. And Paul, Paul has passed the baton unto us. It is now our responsibility and our mission. In 1 Peter chapter 2, in verses 9 and 10, as Peter writes to the exiled believers all over in the dispersion. He says this to them. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now... You are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Oh, believing Jews, they probably marveled at this, but didn't have a hard time grasping it. But believing Gentiles to be called a chosen race, a royal priesthood, A holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Think with me, believers, from the massive high-rise apartments in the city of Hong Kong. Believers from the villages and towns of Laos and Vietnam. Believers 
from the war-torn countries of Africa. Believers, secret believers in Iran. All of us. All of us can say together, we are a chosen race. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are a people for God's own possession. The great Methodist hymn writer, Charles Wesley, on the first anniversary of his conversion, he would be Charles Wesley, if you're not familiar with him, would be the brother of John Wesley. But on the first anniversary of his conversion to Christ, wrote the hymn, Oh, for a Thousand Tongues. It's actually a term in his hymn, which was originally a poem, that he borrowed from one of his friends named Peter Border. Peter Border had once said to Charles Wesley, if I had a thousand tongues, I would use them all to praise Christ. And so Charles Wesley wrote, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumphs, the triumphs of His grace. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You that we Gentiles here this morning are one new man with all of our Jewish brothers and sisters who have also believed in Christ. All that is our inheritance in Christ, we marvel at it. The Jews and Gentiles together share in the glories both now and for all eternity that we are members of the same family and the same body. Thank you. Oh, Lord, if we could, we would be on our knees, on our faces before you, just thanking you for your grace, your kindness, and your mercy toward us. Oh, Father, though we deserved your wrath and judgment, thank you for giving us your grace and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.